Welcome to the Way of the Lamb podcast, a resource of the Center for Christian Formation. For more information, go to christianform.org. Thank you for joining us for a conversation on power and the church. Well, welcome back to the Way of the Lamb podcast. I'm Kyle Strobel here with my dear friend, Jamin. Hey, everybody. Good to be with you. Thank you for continuing to listen. I, I assume you've been continuing on. You're not just jumping in. If you are jumping in, hey, it's good to have you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're trying to pick up some things that, you know, along the way that we've talked about that we want to develop a bit more. But we also want to talk about the story of our own journey with this question of power. And, you know, for me in particular, this is a hard one. I... I have grown up with a kind of a legion of fallen leaders behind me. Mm. Um, I grew up at Willow Creek, and so most obviously Bill Hybels um, had, had a moral failing there very visibly, very publicly, not all that long ago. Um, but of course, there was several others there that aren't talked about often and that we have swept beneath the rug of history that I also endured. I left Willow Creek as an angry young man and went to another church with a, a very toxic leader who eventually also lost his ministry. And that continued on until very recently when Jamin and I, you know, traveled around the world interviewing people that we considered sages in the way of Jesus to talk to them about power. And one of those people who had impacted my life quite significantly through his writing was a man named Jean Vanier. Um, Vanier started La Arch, which is a ministry aimed at people with um, mental and physical disabilities, or mental or physical disabilities. And he had a profound ministry. And may, maybe most obviously in terms of kind of notoriety um, and the way people might know him a bit better is that he mentored Henry Nowen. And he's the person that told Nowen to leave his grandiose fantasy of filling lecture halls in the Ivy League and to to come and pastor a group of his men and women with disabilities. And for those who know Nowen's story, that changed his life. And it was a profound kind of kind of turning point for him. And so when Jamin and I were working on the first edition of the book, we flew to Paris. We rented a car and got profoundly lost. And then eventually found Jean Vanier and spent two days with him and it it wasn't until after he died that there were some allegations that got um you know researched and they studied them they kind of did a whole investigation and they came to find out that he had sexually abused women in his care and you know Jamin and I discovered this we found out right after the first way of the dragon pastors conference that we held the way of the lamb way of the dragon pastors conference and I literally that day had finished the conference speaking on how to recognize wolves in sheep's clothing. Mm-hmm. And late at night, I got a call from Jamin saying, have you heard the news, basically? And so we were on the phone. The, that was Friday evening. We were on the phone the next Monday morning with our publisher saying, take our book out of print. And they graciously agreed, and we were able to rework it and wrestle through the problem with Vanier. But, you know, for... For me, this has been a an experience that has colored the entirety of my Christian life. Um, I have I have seen I have now as as you know being in the faith longer. I've had friends who have lost their ministry because of moral failures. Um, I've had more than I can even count at this stage. I think and and then when you add that, you know, being a seminary professor, the amount of stories I hear 
of these kinds of stories, you know, and we think of, we've named some of these, you know, Ravi Zacharias and his moral failures that, um, that one hit close to home. I knew Ravi not well, but I had met him on a handful of occasions and, um, my students have been profoundly impacted by that. And as far as I could tell, the Ravi situation was most similar to the, the one with Jean Vanier because, you know, I, I think the temptation that I think we might have fallen into a bit as well. It's there's so much these days about toxic leadership. There's so much about kind of this abuse that it's easy to caricature the person that does these kind of things. Oh, uh, you know, they're narcissists who are, you know, they have this profile online. They talk this way. They belittle people this way. They, you know, and, you know, suddenly like we can easily, you know, ha- have this caricatured vision in our minds of what these people are like. Well, Vanier and Ravi, they weren't like that, quite honestly. They were different. They were deeper human beings than that. And yet they lived a profound double life. And so, you know, one of the things that comes out of this as I, as I've kind of wrestled through this and, and in particular, I think of my students that are wrestling through this. They, they, my students tend to be younger. Um, and they were, they were just, they've been blindsided about so many of these now. You know, when I was younger, these were still pretty rare, but now they're just everywhere and we're so confronted by them that one of the things I, I am, I am hearing a lot and we, we've already addressed the first part of this in a previous episode, but it's like, why have anyone in charge? Like, we just need to get rid of power. We need to get rid of authority. And, but tied into that is we need to get rid of leaders. But it raises an interesting question, like, you know, leader and leadership has become this kind of enterprise in the evangelical church over the last several decades. Um, you know, many of these people who have lost their ministry for one reason or they were a part of this thing, right? They were part of championing this, I'm a leader kind of a thing. And, you know, one of the questions that that I want to put to Jamin now, and it's been put to us, and we, we wrestled through in the book a little bit, but I want to wrestle a little bit more, is what do we do with leadership? Like, this has become so ubiquitous, and, and we, we tend to think about power, and the way we tend to think about power is often very wedded to how we understand what leadership is and who leaders are. And so, Jamie, let me just push this to you a little bit. Just think, how, how do we hear this term leadership, leader, leadership, and how, how do we make sense of it? What, what, how do you approach this as a pastor? Yeah, uh, as you're reflecting on that experience we had with Vanier, mm-hmm. just, again, as it does each time we talk about it, I reflect on it, and my heart feels heavy. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I think you're really right, Kyle, that um, that experience with him really um, – is a bit of a monkey wrench in the presumption that um, these kinds of toxic leaders are just, they're just obvious narcissists. Mm-hmm. They ooze anger and arrogance. And so, I mean, we should have otherwise already recognized them, but if we don't, they're pretty easy to recognize. We need to, yeah. we need, we need to name it, identify it, call them out. And, um, you know, understandably so there are other examples um, more, um, confined to the kind of evangelical tent in particular, Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill and others where I, I can see why some feel that way. Yeah. They, 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 they you know, maybe find out about the story. 
after the fact, they listen to the Marcel podcast, they're mm-hmm. hearing some of these sermons, the ways he talked, the ways he related to people and going, my goodness, you know, it's kind yeah. of, it seemed to ooze out of his being, um, the, the anger or the arrogance or whatever it might be. And, and, and again, I think that's true for some of these other maybe evangelical fall, fallen leaders. But to your point, Vanier was not that way. I mean, I, my experience of him was as a man who was gentle, mm. kind, our time with him, I, there was a warmth and a care. And and I remember, you know, driving through his small town in France, trying to find his place, <laughs> asking people who live in this tiny town in France, they knew where he was and how to point us the right direction as we're a little bit lost and having no clue who we're even talking about, yeah. you know, <laughs> so befuddled that two Americans are here to see someone in their town. Like who on earth would you be here to see? Yeah. You know? And so he, he didn't live this kind mm-hmm. of um, uh, self-congratulatory um, self-aggrandizing life of ministry where he was, you know, building a brand and building an empire mm. and seeking as much platform as possible. He wasn't. And yeah. He often was very content with the little hidden work that even those in his media community weren't aware he was even doing. And so I, I think you're right. It presents a real challenge, right? Um, to, to think well about this. And I, I think it, it presses into the foreground that it isn't as simple as, look, just find the real obvious toxic people and get rid of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have to think well about what, to your point, what leadership is and what authority is in the life of the church and in the kingdom. And um, it, it, it just, it forces immediate questions to the foreground. What books do we read? What sermons do we listen to? What books in history do we read? What theologians mm-hmm. do we read or don't we read? Um Whose voices are instructive, informative, guiding in our Christian life? And should we have any at all if, yeah. in light of everything I just shared and you shared, even someone like that yeah. can fail us? And if it isn't as easy as just find the obvious yeah. uh, bad actors, mm-hmm. but um, even leader leaders, quote-unquote, that seem to be really faithful can turn out to be duplicitous. And so – my goodness, I think this is a critical question for us to ask. So I, I'm with you here, and I think where you've been pointing, which is we need to, I think, be critical of this notion of leadership as it's been kind of um, taken up within yeah. the evangelical church in North America. And it gets back to some of our prior conversation in earlier episodes of defining terms well. What do we mean when we say we need leaders? What do we mean by a leader? And I think the simple answer would be this. No, we don't need leaders in the church if what we mean by leaders is what the world means by leaders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so if the question is, do we need leaders or should we get rid of them, or kind of abandon the notion of having leadership, well, what I would say is, well, if what we mean by that is someone um, who uh, kind of controls uh, controls where we're going, um, someone who kind of their voice, their personality, their vision is what we're ultimately looking towards, mm. uh, not Christ. Not, well, you know, we don't need that. Yeah, if yeah. what we mean is someone we can follow as though we don't already have someone to follow, yeah. namely Jesus, then no, we don't need that. So if what we mean by leader is someone who kind of wields control and power, whose force of personality and vision 
um, is kind of ultimately our kind of North Star, um, someone who we can follow wherever they go. No, yeah, we don't need that. So if, if that's what's on offer, mm. no, the, the church will be fine without leaders. We, we don't need that. Um, but if what we mean by leaders is that which Christ gifted to the church, think of Ephesians 4, other texts, of course, yeah. in the New Testament, but pastors, teachers, evangelists, um, apostles, of course, uh, as the foundation the church built upon Christ, the cornerstone. Right? Mm-hmm. But if what we're saying is we don't need apostolic instruction and authority um, in and through God's word, if what we're saying is we don't need the pastors that God has called to shepherd our particular flock in our time and place, mm-hmm. we don't need the teachers or evangelists. or Well, what we're saying is we don't need what you have to offer God. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I, I don't think we want to move that direction, <laughs> yeah. right? I, I don't mm-hmm. think we want to move the direction of rejecting um not only how Christ has ordered the church, but the gift he's given to the church. Mm. Right? And the gift he's given to the church are pastors, teachers, evangelists, so, so on and so forth. So I think if what we mean by leaders is, is that, then, then surely we're in need of what Christ has given us. But again, here I think this is where our categories of um, um, real power, what power is in Christian terms, I think begin to show up. Um, well, what does it mean that we are in, in need of these you know, pastors, teachers, evangelists, um, sages in the faith, um, mothers and fathers in the faith, mm-hmm. you know, as we see in the New Testament as well? Well, we're in need of their example to us. This is clearly what the New Testament is in part offering. Now, there's more that's to be said there about um, you know, pastors' role in discipline and care of the flock. and But to kind of collect the whole group, what well, one of the gifts of sages, uh, mothers and fathers in the faith, mentors, guides, teachers, is they're exemplars in the faith. Mm-hmm. And you know, Paul himself ex- explicitly says, follow my example as I follow Christ. Well, what do we mean by examples in the faith? That they've, they've done it. They're the success stories. Mm-hmm. Look at their life. They're all put together. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great to be like them? This is kind of the worldly vision of leadership, right? Yeah. The, the leader is the one who not only has the great vision, but whose life is, is kind of a demonstration of worldly power as we would imagine it, worldly success as we would imagine it. If we, if we kind of hitch our wagon to them, maybe we'll get there too. But if instead the, 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 the gift of teachers and guides um, to the church, sages in the faith to the church by Christ um, for the sake of being an example in the faith – is more in keeping with kingdom power, then then we can begin to understand why we really do need these kinds of leaders and to model for us the way of weakness for the sake of love. And I think this shows up clearly in the qualifications of elders, mm. like Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, right? Where what we don't get is a profile of find those in your community whose businesses have been most successful, mm. whose personality is the most kind of gregarious and um, um, whose... Uh, speech is the most compelling and winsome, uh, who have the most, uh, who bring to the table the best strategy for accomplishing the goals we've set before you. None of that shows up. Instead, what we get is a list of character qualities, mm-hmm. right? And we get this marker of being above reproach, and then we get a kind of a profile of what it looks like to be above reproach. What does above reproach mean? Like? Well, it looks like this. It looks like being self-controlled. Mm-hmm. It looks like being sober-minded, respectable, hospitable, right? and so on and so forth. This 
as we see in Titus and, and Timothy. What, what we're seeing there is a life that is bearing the fruit of love as one who's abiding in Christ. This is the kind of person who, who actually is showing up in kingdom power, mm-hmm. who's demonstrating the way of the cross, the way of the lamb. And are they exa- an example to you of that kind of life? Right? And so if what we mean by do we really need leaders is do we need, do we need those gifts to the church? Um, then I think the, the answer is absolutely. And, and again, there's more to be said about why Christ gifts a pastor to the church and the vocation sure. of a pastor, you know, well, the vocation of the apostles, what that was. But again, collecting kind of in a whole this notion of would we have anyone else to look to, to, to heed their words, to watch their life, to pay attention to what they might say and kind of holding all of those together under that banner. I think, well, yeah, what, what seems to be showing up here is, we need exemplars in the faith. We need exemplars in the way of kingdom power. Mm. Show us what it means to walk the way of the Lamb. I think maybe I'll, I'll leave it here and kind of kick it back to you, Kyle. But I, I do agree with you that so much of what we mean by leadership, though, in the church today, again, evangelical church, North America, our context, yeah, yeah. isn't that. It, mm. it is a kind of a worldly account of leadership. We need the kind of profiled CEO. We need the kind of the kind of person we would want to be a politician who really kind of grips yeah. our imagination and convinces us they can solve all of our societal ills once and for all by the force of their sheer will and determination. Yeah. Um, we need that kind of person, and I think what we're meaning in that often, sadly, is we need someone to follow, yeah. and they need to be our leader. And of course, we have one to follow. Right, we have one to follow, right. and the exemplars in the faith, as Paul himself says, follow my example as one who is following Christ. To be clear here, I'm, yeah, yeah. our primary relation is I'm your brother in Christ first before I'm an apostle, actually, yeah. and that primary relation now orients us rightly to the one and only one we follow, the one in whom we look to. Right, um, and so I think, yeah, this kind of. Um, Cottage industry, if you will, maybe it's more than cottage industry by now, <laughs> of kind of leadership. Mm. You know, um, here's how to be a good leader. Here's the profile of a good leader. It shows up in, in finding the right church planners and getting your next senior pastor and yeah. hiring an executive team, quote unquote, around the pastor. Again, even the language, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it owes more to kind of a culture of corporate, political, um, social American life. Yeah. Than it does to, I think, the vision of the kind of leaders, if we do want to use that term, Christ is actually seeking to gift to the church. Yeah. For its flourishing, for its well being, for it to mature in the way of love. Yeah. I, I don't know what else that maybe brings up for you, but that that's what strikes me as we think about the term. It's what do we mean? What's our language? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't think ultimately the language of leadership probably ought to be primary precisely because of that. Because yeah. it by and large does mean something different than what the New Testament is actually, I think, offering us a vision of. Yeah, totally. Well, it makes me think how a better way to put it perhaps is what when we say leader today, we really mean guru. Mm. And what scripture wants to push on us are, are terms like elder mother, father, right? Like, it's interesting how Paul, you know, now theologizing in Christ post-ascension, post-Pentecost, in the Spirit, 
when he talks about Christians, it's two, there's two key terms now. You know, Paul never uses the term disciple. Mm. Um, by and large, that gets thrown out the window after um, the the um, ascension of Christ. It shows up in Acts a little bit, but it's more descriptive of this group. We call them this, right? It's not. It doesn't show up in Peter's epistle. It doesn't, doesn't show, show up in James. Doesn't show yeah. up in Hebrews. And for good reason, because um, it's replaced by familial language. Mm. Because we are adopted into Christ Jesus as sons within his sonship, as the bride of Christ, united not only in one in body, but one in spirit with him. We are therefore children of the Father and therefore brothers and sisters with each other. So the language shifts to familial language. It's interesting how, and I use this word carefully, but obsessed we've become with the language of discipleship, Hmm. which isn't significant language. You know, it's it's interesting. Like most people here, like oh, like I don't want to be just a believer. I want to be a disciple, right? You it's know, this kind of um, varsity level. That's Christianity. right. Yeah, yeah. At no point <laughs> yeah. does the Bible think this way. Like at no point is it a special class of really serious people. That's right. just not how the Bible uses it. I mean, leaving aside the fact that discipleship isn't even a word, right? There's a person named a disciple who stand in a relation to a teacher, right? But discipleship isn't a thing, right? That's a, a word we've made up to try to make sense of, of making disciples of all nations. You know, when we think about the, that Great Commission, it's interesting how, how little we pay attention to how the actual people who were given that commission heard it and followed it. They started churches of brothers and sisters. <laughs> yes, with, with elders. With pastors, elders and teachers. pastors, totally. And so the, the word disciple's fine. Like, I, there's, nothing, there's no reason to be allergic to it. My worry is we've, we've made it a special term in a way that it isn't. Mm. And what we've done is we've kind of codified this vision of we need gurus who make followers of themselves. Eugene Peterson tells this great story about when he was re- – I think it was when he was retiring, but he met a person retiring. So this is older in life. But he met a guy that he was talking to retiring, and he asked him what he's going to do in retirement. And his comment was, I'm going to kind of replicate myself as much as I can. Yeah. And Eugene's comment yeah. was, one of you is enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he told us both that. Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I – the, the problem is if you, you develop a kind of discipleship model – it almost always becomes replicating yourself, right? Rather than making disciples of Jesus, you just kind of make disciples of you. Right. How you define discipleship is totally arbitrary. So some people mean that means doing apologetics. I've met people that mean learning theology. I've met people that mean doing social justice stuff. I've met like it's just your pet projects, right? It just gets utterly defined by what whoever the guru is. This is what I'm about. And it means that you stand in like a one-to-one relation with this leader figure and the other disciples around you, they don't define you. You're only defined in this kind of unidirectional way by this person I'm following. Whereas notice that what Jesus did, by by making us children of the Father, suddenly it takes the entire body to form us into the head. That's the language Jesus is going to use. Mm-hmm. You're formed to him who is the head, and it takes the entire body growing together into the head, which is the Lord. So now the spiritualists matter because it, it requires the whole body of Christ to come together. Notice how communal this, 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 this thing is. But it also means that the second you are a child of the Father, that every other Christian is your brother or sister and in part define you. 
Like you stand in a kind of necessary relation to them that doesn't happen with with discipleship relations. That's good. And so one of the, I, I worry that even again, in in a lot of contexts, the language of discipleship wouldn't even bother me. The language of disciple wouldn't bother me. I think it actually names every major temptation we have as modern Americans. We want this kind of external relationship that shows us what success is. We want a very clear worked out path to, to form, to flourishing and to growth. We want someone to just kind of lay it out and teach us the skills we need to get it done. It's all of these things that we just think we were, we're, we're so, we want to, we want to be very kind of individualistic, very kind of prepackaged. All of our temptations grab onto this and we end up kind of leaving behind the vision in Christ by the spirit that the New Testament gives us, going backwards, as it were, in redemptive history to grab onto one of the things Jesus used to hide from people so they didn't ask too many questions about what he's doing and try to yeah. sanctify it as if it's the answer to everything. Well, and to, to your point, I mean, notice we don't have Paul grabbing 12 That's right. Yeah. men or individuals and saying, you're going to be my disciples, follow me for a few years. Yeah, we that's don't right. have Peter doing that. We don't have... That's right. It's not a thing. And so to your point, we have the kind of the planting of churches and the establishment of what it looks like for this body of Christ Mm -hmm. to now build itself up in love. And, and maybe this now dips into the, you know, there is something here for us, despite your and I's critique, there is something here for us, which is, but, and notice those those churches are not somehow kind of uh, flattened out, um, uh, you know, void of all hierarchy, <laughs> absent right. any authority. Yeah. You know? No, instead we get, you know, first of all, you know, the apostolic address to these churches mm-hmm. s- tells us something yeah, about yeah. that, right? Um, in particular in churches where that authority is being questioned, the church is questioning Paul's authority and his stature in Corinth or – um, Peter's writing his, uh, you know, epistles, his collection of churches, and we have false teachers sneaking in, and you know, the apostles are very concerned about their authority being mm-hmm. subverted, totally, and rightly so, mm-hmm. <laughs> as those commissioned by Christ as apostles, and and we get instruction all throughout these letters of what does it mean to relate to your pastor, what does it mean to relate to the elders, mm-hmm. and now how are the elders to relate to the church? Yeah. What we don't see there is kind of. You know, avoid all authority. Um, That's right. You know, vacate any kind of quote unquote categories of leadership. Again, understood rightly. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the, the, those things were showing up there. But to your point, they're held and understood by um, a richer, deeper vision of what the church is in relation to Christ by the Spirit. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's the very fact that it's familial, right? These are. Brother and sister, like the second you have Pentecost, suddenly you have brother and sister and saint becomes the primary way yes. to refer to Christians. And the realization of what it means to, to brother someone or as an old, as I grow in, in the faith, what does it means to father? Yes. Um, and you know, Paul's really interesting in this garden. First Thessalonians two, in that one chapter, Paul refers to himself as the mother. In fact, he calls himself the, their nursing mother mm-hmm. as he's breastfeeding them. He's also their father, he said. He's also their orphan. He calls himself their orphan and, and their brother. And in one chapter, you get all of these, this, this terminology 
where he even at one point, although we, we tend to mistranslate this as gentle when the word means infant, and Paul actually calls himself, I, I was your infant. And in, in one chapter, he's father, mother, infant, orphan, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting kind of like when you think mm. about power in those relationships, that's just a different kind of thing. Like we're not talking about an organization. Like take that, though, that language and put executive team next to it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just makes no sense. Like you can feel how discordant it is to that kind of economy. Yeah. But it also means that if you were going to have authority in that place, if you were going to become a mother or a father, there's now a deepening in love. There is a, a kind of shepherding people in and to Christ. And th- that, you know, it's, it's, it goes, goes back to your comment about, um, when we, when we talked about you kind of, um, being in circumstances of hiring pastors, mm-hmm. like the kind of questions we mm-hmm. asked, you know, like in a previous, in a previous episode, I, I, I think, you know, when you think you're hiring a pastor, like if you kind of reframe it, like we're hiring a father or we're hiring, you know, like we're hiring a, a sibling or a, you know, it, that's a different sort of thing. You don't just bring anyone into the family. You know, because you recognize how families function. Yeah. And yet, on the other side of that, one of the most provocative realities of the gospel is you are throwing the invitation open to everybody. Wait, the Gentiles? Wait, Samaritans? Right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's offensive. Right. And yet, that, that's, you know, and so when we think about whatever we're talking about when we're talking about leaders, I agree with you. Like, I think it's, it's troublesome terminology, but it's, even if we decide we don't have to get rid of it, we have to reframe it entirely yes. around the very nature of what this thing is. And so as we kind of conclude just this reflection, I, I think I'm going to turn it back to you. So I'll give you a couple seconds to think about it. But I want you to think, you know, as we, as we leave thinking about some questions, thinking about like, you know, what, how do we kind of consider this as we leave? But I also think, you know, when, when we consider our own context, like how, how do we think about those people in our church, if we're in a denomination or denomination, like, and how, as you brought up earlier, those people throughout history, do we overly kind of sanctify people where we have to perfect them mm-hmm. in history? And if they're not perfect, we reject them. Um, to borrow an image a friend of mine uses, are we a little too interested in c- uncovering the nakedness of our fathers? Yeah. Um, to use the Noah kind of story image where we love nothing more than uncovering not only historically maybe the nakedness of our fathers, but even today. Like, are we a little too too interested in the current gossip? Are we a little too, you know, I, I do think we need to be the ones who name very clearly and upfront what's going on in our churches. But there's a way to relate to that, that, that you know, um, can actually be unfaithful, that can actually be a little too kind of gossipy. And I, I just want to be in on that kind of present intrigue and um, – how are we seeing the brothers and sisters we have in the faith, not only historically, not only in our present context, but also globally? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, I think, you know, there's um, the words of Jesus here really rise to the surface for me as you're talking. Take the log out of your own eye before, you know, mm. so that there is, a, to your point, there is a yes, we need to name evil 
when we see it. We need to hold those who are are, are tasked with um, an office or authority in the church accountable. And absolutely, uh, we need to protect um, the the weak and the victim, and certainly the abused. And it absolutely. Um, and yet there is this, this kind of culture, <clears throat> I think, within the evangelical church of our day, uh, emboldened by social media, right, where we're not really prone to take the log out of our own eye. We're mm. prone to really, really, really get um, – hone our skills at digging every speck we can find out of someone else's eye. Mm. And uh, we've sharpened that tool and we know how to pick all those specks out. But meanwhile, we have a big log ourselves, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I and, and and I know that temptation myself. So I, I, I say it as one who want, wants to hear Jesus' words there as well. And I think Jesus' words, the, the words of Christ that show up for me, are, you know, Matthew seven, um, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, mm-hmm. and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And yeah. again, mm-hmm. you know, I'm inclined to take Jesus seriously here. Yeah. And so yeah. It, it ought to give us. Um, um, it ought to be sobering. Yeah. You know, we, Lord, help me see my own sin. Help me see my own failure. And two, I, I want to engage this in such a manner that I recognize, you know, there's, is this the kind of judgment I would want to receive in the same way and arriving at sweeping conclusions about mm-hmm. things I know very little, if literally nothing about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in a public, in a public way. And, and so I think that's there. I think, um, you know, m- m- maybe, as you said, to draw to a close, I think well, one of the other ways th- this can show up, this kind of rejection of leadership as a kind of rejection of the actual offices or authority or you know, proper example, exemplars of the faith is we, – we, we've talked about this a bit in, in prior podcasts, but I think it, it's the critique of, of celebrity – Mm-hmm. And um, I think you and I would both agree the critique is well founded. Sure, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, you know. of course. And if what we mean by celebrity is something like basically idolatry, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, yeah. I mean, it's probably a new, more nuanced way of articulating that. But that, that's kind of what we mean, and that's kind of what's going on in our culture. Right? Yeah. Celebrities are we, we don't use the language idol on accident in certain settings; they are our idols. Yeah, yeah. And um, then, uh, yeah, of course, we ought not do that with any human being. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Certainly not someone in the life of the church. And if the concern there are those who are kind of um, taking advantage of that disposition in our culture to idolize, to look for celebrities, to look for gurus, and are seeking to build a a brand and a platform, so to speak, off of that, right? To kind of um, take advantage of that desire and to really wield it for greater control and domination and, yeah, yeah. and privilege and um, monetary gain. And yes, celebrity culture in the church, you know, we ought to be concerned about. But I think, again, this is one of those places where what, what, what do we really mean? Because if what we mean is anyone who has recognition, anyone who, whose yeah. book did sell well, yeah. <laughs> um, anyone in church history who has prominence, we ought to be kind of um, implicitly maybe um, suspicious of, right? Or assume assume the worst of. Um, I, I think that's alarming. Um, and, and conversely, to your point, th- th- this doesn't mean that we should 
also just assume perfection yeah, yeah. in those individuals. Cause again, that, that would give way to a kind of idolatry. Um, but it means we, we recognize, I think, again, with sober judgment, these are brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the history of the church and now yeah. who have sinned like we have, maybe in ways that are grievous and concerning, and yet whose lives have something to bear witness to the way of Jesus. Mm. And we, we need to be discerning of that and to learn from errors yeah, and yeah. to learn from wisdom. Yeah. And I think the the kind of eschewing of celebrity culture in the church sometimes means we need to, you know, get rid of this whole, any notion of listening to someone, someone being the person on stage, someone's book getting sold and people buying it and reading it and and taking the advice they're in. That would be alarming to me because of everything we've, we've talked about. And really it comes down to our way of discerning power, Mm -hmm. um, rejecting leadership of any kind, quote unquote, or, um, prominent teachers of any kind as just celebrities, because this is all part of the the kind of toxic power as such is far too reductionistic. It's not getting at the real problem. The question we have to ask is where does this leader's power come from? Where does this writer's power come from? Mm. And what is it for? Yeah. And to test and discern and to weigh that if, if a, if a leader, if, um, a prominent pastor that's well known who speaks at a conference or a Christian writer whose books we read is constantly appealing to their own talents and abilities in in the way in which they communicate and it is what they are communicating about, then we ought to be concerned about that. Mm. In other words, if they're saying this is coming from them, we ought to actually take them at their word and believe it's not coming from God and be concerned about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but yeah. likewise, if if we see that it's being wielded for more glory, for more status, if others are being pushed down so they can be elevated, mm. right? If 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 they're they're using that kind of favor, so to speak, of books being purchased or people listening to um, achieve worldly success and status to to gain worldly pleasures, then we ought to again be concerned, mm. right? And so. I think of some of those we spent time with Kyle on our trip and and maybe I'll close with this and allow you to offer a few reflection questions for our friends here as we go. But Mm. I, I think of J.I. Packer. He sold many, many, many books, but, um, I spent time with the man before Mm. he died and he was a man who to the, to the end was seeking to come to know God's power and his weakness. Sure. He had, sin in his life we all do yeah. but he was committed to that way in, in ingenuineness and it showed up in how he related and how he taught mm-hmm. and I look at how he wielded his ministry and um, not for earthly gain we picked him up at his house a, a yeah. modest yeah. home you know dressed in modest clothing um, his life testifies to how he used that, yeah. that recognition and so the, the solution isn't well uh, he needs to tell the publisher, please stop selling books. We've gone too far. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm never going to go to a conference again. I don't want to ever speak. Uh, I'm not going to teach at Regent Seminary anymore. I don't want people to think of me as a teacher. Yeah, right? yeah. And so again, it. but what is it? where does it come from? What is it for? We, we need to be more discerning of these things yeah. rather than so simple in our solutions. Yes. Yeah. Well, and maybe that's – I think that's a good word for the for the conclusion even. Like in what ways – and I think this is true of all of us. Like in what ways are we tempted towards reduction? Mm. In what ways we tempted towards the easy solution, 
oh, this, all of this is bad. Get rid of all of it. This is, you know, like in what ways do we, in that, you know, one of the, I think, earmarks of wisdom is this kind of patient, careful attending and naming things as they are. And if the goal is to never be let down, yeah, well, that's, then we're going to yeah. miss out on the gift of God to us in the church, the history of that's the church right. and yeah. the church now. Brothers and sisters in Christ are going to let them down and we're going to let other people down. Yeah. And if the goal is to never be let down, to never find a flaw, A, well, then we do have to opt out <laughs> yeah, yeah. of really ever interacting with any Christians, whether they're mm. uh, uh, you know dead writers in the history of the church or a pastor or a brother or sister in Christ. But if we are, we're going to receive what Christ has offered us, yeah, our, yeah. the family of God. Yeah. Then we're going to be let down. But the, the question is, how do we draw near to the Lord when we experience that? Yeah, yeah and I think the key is we, we, we don't need – we don't – we shouldn't respond to all of this in any way that just kind of jettisons out having elders and wise leaders and those kind of mothers and fathers in the faith, yes. brothers and sisters who speak into our life. And we need to remain open to that. And I know that's hard for a lot of people for good reason. They've been hurt. They've been victimized. There's all sorts of reasons. I can very much relate to wanting to kind of jettison quite a lot of quite a lot of this. But yet as well, I've had some people who have helped reconcile me back to the church years ago to the faith that I was almost about ready to walk away from because of these things. And so we need to be open to the family that the Lord gives us. And again, we are little Hoseas. Um, we love her not because she's beautiful, um, but because Christ loves her. So consider how, how you stand in relation to these things. And um, as we continue to wrestle through the question of power, consider how even the way you think about and and identify with leaders, elder figures, um, people in the past, people in the present, people you look up to, are you primarily looking through the lens of family and through brothers and sisters in Christ, or are you are, are, are the lens you've adopted actually a secular one, and has it led you um, astray in that way? So, friends, thank you again for joining us for another episode of Way of the Lamb podcast and. It's been Kyle and I's joy to be with you. Lord's grace and peace to you. Bless you all. See you soon. Thank you for listening to the Way of the Lamb podcast, a resource of the Center for Christian Formation. For more information, go to christianform.org.